Our scripture today is from Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12. Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil, the, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope, even as a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody is the popular rock opera from the 70s whose guitar riffs and anthemic melodies showcase the lead singer, uh, Freddie Mercury's incredible musical talent. It was the song was popularized again in the 90s movie, Wayne's World, and has gone on to become, if you didn't know this, the most downloaded song from the 20th century. As of 2018, it has been downloaded 1.8 billion times. But once you get past the catchy riffs and, the, and listen to the words, we discover that it turns out to be a very honest naming of Freddie Mercury's musings over life and over death. Ending the song with the you know, famous tag, nothing really matters, anyone can see. Nothing really matters, nothing really matters to me. Any way the wind blows. You know, when Mercury, while Mercury never disclosed what the meaning of the song was, some have su suggested it's a story about a man, a young man who, who kills somebody and has made a deal with the devil to save his soul. Others point to it being Mercury's veiled coming out as a bisexual at a time when his sexuality would impact Mary, his romantic partner for seven years, and also his career. 
You know, either way, we hear this solemn questioning of whether anything really matters. Perhaps Freddie Mercury uh, communicates the modern-day angst that the writer of Ecclesiastes does in his reflection over life and death and the way it impacts the way we live our lives. You know, as Kahelet, the writer of Ecclesiastes, says, this same sense of vanity and meaningless is conveyed in the Hebrew word habel, which is used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And the difficulty we have in translating this word habel appropriately, I think, acknowledges the difficulty of grasping and making sense of our lives. In chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, we find that Kahelet wrestles with the reality of death. Even death itself, as final as we may find it, uh, recognize it to be, brings challenges to how we live our lives now. And perhaps Kohelet offers us a way to move forward from death to depth. Kohelet's words remind us that death doesn't have to be something to be avoided, but it can bring depth to our present lives. We move from death to depth, Today, I'm going to look at three things by recognizing one certainty, by recognizing many certainties, and by recognizing God's gift. One certainty, many certainties, and God's gift. Kohelet begins chapter 9 with a series of musings about life, but all point to one conclusion. One certainty in life. Everyone dies. In these verses, Kohelet considers how it doesn't matter if you're good or if you're bad. It doesn't matter how religious and pious you are. In his language, it was clean and unclean. How much you sacrifice for God in worship and in giving and in activism and in missions. It doesn't matter if you are a person who is good for your word. And whatever lifestyle it is that you've committed to, whether it's to reduce your dependency on fossil fuels or to take a vow of simplicity and silence or to go vegan, or maybe to grow your own vegetables and live off the grid, all of these things, it doesn't matter in the end. Nothing really matters, anyone can see, in the words of Freddie Mercury. You know, in some ways, it seems like God doesn't really care about our worship, our religious practices, because we all die. Even more, it seems that it doesn't necessarily pay, uh, pay to live a wise life, other than, per, than perhaps to make yourself feel better than, that you might be wiser than your neighbor. And if that's really your motive, then how wise is that really? In fact, if some of you can even recall some of the things that you've done that you shouldn't have done, and you've gotten away with it. And in fact, you might even feel pretty good about that. Evan was talk, asking, has been asking Julia and I about our childhoods. And so this week I told him about how my high school friends and I would go to the local Burger King after our volunteer shift at the local science center every Saturday. And because we were teenagers on limited budgets, we found a way to maximize the all-you-can-eat salad bar at Burger King. See, only one person had to purchase it out of the six of us. And when he got the dish, he wouldn't load up the dish. He'd load up the whole tray from everything from the salad bar. That seemed pretty wise at the time. And we never got caught. Except Burger King got rid of the salad bar during our time there. I'm not sure if they're related. But every time I get, get together with my high school buddies, 
we reminisce over stories like this, stories of things that we got away with. We're all going to die anyways. So what difference does it make if you follow the rules all the time? And you might be thinking here right now, you came to church and you think, wow, Pastor Andrew, <laughs> well, you're shattering all these perfect notions we have of you. Don't worry, there's more of that to come. Maybe you even feel pretty good about yourself that, wow, I, at least I'm not as bad as Pastor Andrew. But in the spirit of Kohelet, so what? Our present lives will end the same. Death is the one certainty. Kohelet continues towards the end of the chapter. Not only does everyone face the same certainty of death, no one escapes life's many uncertainties. Take a listen to what the Good News version of uh, verses 11 and 12 say. I realized another thing, that in this world, fast runners do not always win the races, and the brave do not always win the battles. The wise do not always earn a living. Intelligent people do not always get rich. Any amen here? No. <laughs> and capable people do not always rise to high positions. Bad luck happens to everyone. Nothing is for certain because time and chance take matters out of our own hands, as Jerry reminded us earlier in the call to worship. We don't get to control our genetic predisposition. We don't get to control the families that we're born in. I found one Super Bowl ad uh, amusing last Sunday. It was an ad for a sports lottery that had the you know, two famous quarterbacks, Peyton and Eli Manning, uh, say something to the effect of like, come and you know, bet. Do your sports betting, but know your limit and bet responsibly. You know the subtext of that is? What the subtext of this is that you can be in control of what chance brings you. You can even be control, in control of your addictive tendencies. So just come. Come and bet with us. Just know your limit. If one's, uh, one's of life's certainty, if only life's uncertainties were so easy to manage... In verse 12, Kahelet invites us to consider how we are like fish in the sea. We're subject to the tides of the ocean. We're subject to the weather in the skies above. But we're also subject to the chance that a fisherman will come and grab us out, out of the water from the net. None of it is really in our control. Translate that to our lives. Sometimes good people are mistreated. Sometimes bad people are given honor and favor. And those who try to be good and wise in order to get God's blessings for them and for their children often find themselves very disappointed. Well, some you might think, well, if it doesn't really matter whether we live a wise life, then just live a life of pleasure and folly. We end the same anyway, so why not enjoy the ride as you're going? Both the certainty of death and the many uncertainties we face may lead us to conclude, as the Greek philosopher Epicurus did. He said, since death is certain, live as happy and as pain-free life as possible until you die. Enjoy food. Enjoy friendships. Live a morally upright life. He encouraged that. But not because you're afraid of how the gods might punish you or reward you, but because then you can have a guilt-free conscience as you go through life, because at least you tried to be a good person. Do we hear Epicureanism in our day and age now? 
That appears to where that appears to be where Kohelet heads in verses seven and eight, especially when we read the Good News translation. He says, "Go ahead, eat your food and be happy. Drink your wine and be cheerful. It's all right with God. Always look happy and cheerful. Enjoy life with the one you love. Respond to the uncertainties." By just going with the flow, enjoy the ride. It seems to go against what some of us who have grown up in maybe Mennonite or Puritan or culturally conservative (laughs) traditions have been told. Life is uncertain and temporary, so don't get too caught up in all these fleshly, worldly things. But then we come across verses like this. It says, what? God's word says to drink wine? Enjoy good food? Be happy? And it says, look happy. You don't even have to feel happy. Look happy and cheerful. You mean Christians are allowed to enjoy life? That seems a little bit too worldly. And then some Jesus followers react against all these conservative cultures they grew up in and see verses like this and they're licensed to enjoy the good things in life. In light of life's uncertainties, we conclude that our appetites and our desires these are all good things that God has given to us. These body, this body is what God gave to me, and I'm feeling these things. So we can do what we want with our bodies as long as it doesn't hurt others, as long as there's mutual informed consent, as long as, especially when there's a loving commitment. But you know what? Sometimes our justification to enjoy what we think are the good things in life run contrary to what we find in Scripture. Here, Kohelet reminds us that the life, our lives, and the good things in life are indeed to be enjoyed. But they are enjoyed when we see them only as temporary gifts. They're temporary gifts meant to remind us of a more substantial life to come. They are good gifts to be enjoyed now, as long as they don't become ultimate things for us now. Where we say we must have this in order to live a fulfilled life. They are gifts that are, that are not necessary for a rich and full life in God. Kohelet reminds us to enjoy good things in this present life, but to keep them in perspective of our eventual death and of the life to come. Continue reading in verse 9, again from the Good News Translation. It says, As long as you live this useless life that God has given you in this world, enjoy every useless day of it, because that is all you will get for your trouble. Work hard at whatever you do because there will be no action, no thought, no knowledge, no wisdom in the world of the dead. And that is where you are going. (laughs) Encouraging words. Put against the backdrop of our death, all the things that that we enjoy in this life are actually habel. They are meaningless. They are useless. They are vanity. They are fleeting in the sun, in this life under the sun, using the language of Ecclesiastes. Death in light of God's holy character and intentional action in the world shouldn't lead us to grumpy denial of any good thing in this life, but it also shouldn't lead us to an Epicurean, all-you-can-eat enjoyment of life. Death in light of God instead leads us to a life of greater depth. When we come to know God's character revealed in Christ, it brings us a different perspective 
to the things we enjoy in this life. They are gifts indeed to be enjoyed and to be stewarded, but because they remind us of a much more substantial life that is to come, a substantial joy that is to come. You know, the series we've called Living Life, Living Life in Reverse, Living Life in Light of Our Deaths, Living Life Now in Light of Our Deaths to Come. One of our WCF members here has a particularly unique view of how death has led her to live a more deeply lived life. She's learned to live life in reverse in a way that many of us haven't yet. So I'd like to invite Stacy Spear forward to uh, share her story with us. And if you haven't met Stacy yet, she's a psychologist and she and her uh, husband, Jeff, have been part of the WCF community for over 12 years and served as, de uh, as a deacon. So thanks, Stacy, for sharing with us. All right. Am I gonna have to wear my glasses? I don't know. Okay. I wanna, I wanna thank Andrew and the congregation for giving me the opportunity to, to speak today. Um, this series has been truly speaking to my heart, and um, every sermon has just uh, been some of the best sermons I've ever heard, and I, I really appreciate it. Um, in 2012, um, I'm just going to summarize things for a little bit. In 2012, I was diagnosed as having breast cancer um, and was in treatment continuously from that point until 2019. And I was diagnosed as having metastatic breast cancer. So that's breast cancer that has spread beyond the original source in the breast, um, typically through the lymph nodes. So it had spread to my right lymph nodes. And um, we thought we got it all. I had a lumpectomy, and the, they thought they, they got it all. But, and I continued on treatment. But it was a pretty aggressive form of cancer. Um, so in 2019, I was diagnosed. It had spread. Um, well, so when breast cancer spreads, it, it typically goes to your bones, lungs, liver, or brain. Um, it's, in, it's incurable cancer, um, and only 20 to 30% of people diagnosed with it live longer than five years. So my cancer is HR positive, which means that it responds to both estrogen and progesterone, um, or it used to. Um, so the cancer I have is spread throughout, um, through my lymph nodes, throughout much of my right chest cavity. Um, you know, we, people always talk about like the tumor size. It's, it's kind of like thin little tumors kind of spread out. So in some ways that's a good thing. Um, and it's, so it's in my chest cavity, it's in, in my bones, and it's a, a small spot in one of my lungs, and it's in my adrenal gland, and it recently, a small spot is in my liver. So I'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, process and reality of my death, it, it comes in stages. That's typical for everyone. Um, now I feel like I was really naive in the beginning. I thought I had lung cancer, because I, um, I was having some pain and I had a chest x-ray that just showed something in the lungs and until uh, it took about five weeks to get the final diagnosis. So in the beginning, I thought it was just lung cancer and I didn't have long to live and you know, was struggling to figure it out. Um, so I was kind of relieved when I found out, oh, it's, it's this thing and there's treatments for it. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of hope and I thought that 
uh, from everything I heard, that my life could be extended for what would likely be you know, a number of years, and that it was even possible to have a decent quality of life. And I certainly found that, that to be true. Um, but the progress of treatment, of course, is not always a linear one. Uh, I did about average on my first treatment, but I've been hoping I was one of the outliers that could take it for 10 years and, and be fine. Um, and it, that it wouldn't affect the quality of my life much, which didn't for the most part. It was, it was a pretty easy treatment. Um, I think some people have been on it ever since it was FDA approved in 2015, um, and some people longer because of the clinical trials. Um, I took comfort in the fact that the drug was not even available when I was originally diagnosed. So, you know, if they invented one since then, they'll invent more, right? Certainly there is a lot of research going on. I don't talk about that a lot in here, but there is. There is a lot of research going on. Um, so maybe more drugs will be available when this one stops working, because right? that's how it works. Um, the cancer finds a way to persist even with treatment attacking it. So another treatment is then used, and so on, and so on, with two goals in mind. Putting off doing intensive IV chemotherapy until there, was until there are no other alternatives, and doing this while maintaining the best quality of life, best possible quality of life. So I started my second treatment for metastatic breast cancer last summer. There were, um, so I'd had some, a little bit of progression, and I needed to, um, to start the second one. And there were problems with that medication regimen. One pill I took last summer led to a moderate clinical depression, and the other had chemotherapy side effects, and both were completely ineffective in suppressing the growth of cancer and related symptoms. Over the course of several weeks, my treatment team helped me to get treatment for the depression. By the end of the three months, I was experiencing chronic and intermittent pain that I used narcotics to manage and was fatigued and short of breath. I was certain that the cancer was growing and that it might have spread to my liver, and I was right. We, switch, we switched treatments almost you know, right at the, we figured out it was growing and um, the scan showed that, and I knew the scan was gonna show that. Um, we switched treatments and went on a glorious healing vacation to Arizona, mostly Sedona, uh, with all the vortexes, uh, in the same week. So I switched treatments, went on the vacation. You know that kayak commercial where the person says, there will be no canceling. <laughs> That's what Jeff was like. <laughs> Jeff was like, we are not canceling this vacation. We're going on it. Um, and after I returned from this vacation, I got a call that the tumor markers in my blood had already started to significantly decrease, which meant the treatment was working. Praise God. I really can't express how much these second chances reprise from what feels like possibly imminent death, though I realize I'm so naive about all of this, how much these reprieves mean to me. I'll walk around feeling incredibly grateful every day, every dog kiss, buddy hop, I love my buddy, <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> he hopped in my yard last summer, right in the midst of all this. Before I started these treatments, he's been great. Um, delicious taste, a uh, hug from a loved one. Sunrise, sorry, just a second, okay. Sunrise, sunset, moonrise, snowfall. It is all such an amazing feast. 
I don't know how long I will be able to experience all these things. None of us do. But I am aware of the preciousness of the world God has given us. It has made it easier, not harder, for me to appreciate the gift of life. I was one to delay gratification my entire life, sometimes for years. You know, I'd go on vacation and buy all these things, and then just they'd sit there. I wouldn't even unpack them. Now I unpack things right away and put them in my house, take care, you know, wear it, whatever. Um, and if I think about something I want to do, I either try to do it or make a plan to do it. God has been here through all of this. This week alone, I had a friend give me healing water that she went to Lourdes, France, to get for her friends who need healing. I also um, spoke with a friend of mine, old colleagues of mine, um, uh, a preacher and a priest, and they're going to pray for me. We had our small group where the group is being so supportive that I feel like I can talk about my diagnosis whenever I want to, and they won't run away. Thank you. Uh-huh. This opportunity to talk today. Thank you. I didn't think I was going to cry. Didn't wear a waterproof mascara. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll grab a Kleenex on the way out. Um, so my perspective is treasure every moment. Every moment is valuable, the good and the bad. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> and for support and prayers, I want to thank you for everything you've done for Jeff and me and Jeff over the years. Jeff and I will continue to need your support and prayers. I have an incredibly hard time asking for help. In fact, the first version of this said I didn't need help. <laughs> Seriously, the version I sent you last night, oh, I don't need help. <laughs> Just take care of Jeff. Um, so I have an incredibly hard time asking for help, but I can be better. I'm better at accepting help when it's offered, so asking me how I'm doing is always appreciated. Thank you. grief and sorrow to dislodge us from seeking security in this life. But the this chapters of chapter nine, this encouragement is to enjoy life here is a reminder that the gifts that God gives us are not everything or essential, but we can enjoy them while we have them. These things are just merely pointers of a future life that's going to be even better. You know, notice how verses 7 to 10 in this chapter are suggestive of a, of a kind of a wedding feast. There's food, there's drink, there's white clothing, there's a husband and a wife. Scripture paints a picture of this good life to enjoy here that is a foretaste of a future wedding banquet to come whose joy and beauty cannot be described and cannot be fully experienced here in this life. But it's not just way off in the future. 
In the Gospels, note how many of the significant scenes in Jesus' ministry don't happen in a church building or in a worship service. They happen around a meal with friends. The first miracle Jesus ever performed, where, is that, where does that take place? At a wedding. Not just the wedding ceremony, but the wedding feast where he turns water into wine. When the prodigal son returns, what happens? Not judgment, but a feast. When Jesus picks out the mo- one of the most despised people in town, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he says, I'm coming to your home. We're going to have a meal together. Jesus breaks bread with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And after the resurrection, when Jesus shows up at a beach, what does he do? Does he teach them? He prepares a meal of fish for them. The goodness of life with God now is often experienced in a meal shared with others in relationship. When we eat and we drink and we pray and we support one another now, it's an anticipation of a future feast. God's people will find their true home there one day. Eminent author and theologian C.S. Lewis has done a lot of writing and thinking about death. He knows it well himself. He knew it well himself. He, He lost his dog at the age of four. He lost his mom at the age of nine. He lost his fellow soldiers during the First World War. And he, descri- and he lost his wife eventually. And he describes how in the life to come, we won't be these disembodied souls floating around, but we will be in a physical place that he calls a deeper country. A deeper country. His novel, The Last Battle, describes this deeper country. The children and animals move from old Narnia to new Narnia, where they find that every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more, deeper. He continues, It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked like this. (laughs) Come up farther, come farther in. Those who don't know this hope in Christ enjoy eating and drinking in this life because It's all we get to enjoy before we die. But those who know and love and hope in Christ enjoy eating and drinking because it looks like what we are going to do after we die. David Gibson, who's written a really helpful book for me uh, on this this series, he says, they are gifts from the real country. They smell and taste like home. We can move from death to depth. Not only in this life, we have a much deeper appreciation of the gifts of God, but in the life to come. For God's children, our home isn't behind us. Our home is ahead of us. Death seems to bring an end to all the things of home and the things that we want to enjoy in this life, but it's actually just the beginning of our future home. And we often mistakenly think, 
what are we going to do after we die? What are we going to do in eternity? I'm going to miss all these things here. For those who know Christ, death doesn't bring an end. It is the beginning of our future home. And after our death, we look forward to a more real, a more substantial life to enjoy. In light of Christ, death here in this life leads to a deeper experience of life that we are built for in the future, a life at home with God. Death brings depth to this present life. One last quote. Tim Keller said, Pastor Tim Keller says, what we believe about the future is one of the best predictions of how we act today. What we think about our homes, what we think about what we will enjoy in the future informs what we enjoy in this life. God's children know our real home. God's children find that when we live with the certainty of death without being crushed with, by it, we can live with the many uncertainties of life. And we can enjoy the good gifts of God in this present life because they are gifts from God. But they are not everything. So my friends, go and live lives of such joy and depth because through Christ, you are giving others a glimpse of the home that they too are welcomed to extravagantly in Christ.